Hi, I'm Keegan. This is GM Talks. I am joined by my lovely assistant, Brennan. Hello. And uh, today we are interviewing Scarlett. Scarlett's been a longtime fan of the podcast and the Facebook page. And so we asked her to come along and uh, talk with us on the show. Hello, um, I'm Scarlett, as already noted. I am 24 years old. Um, I am a trans feminine non-binary person, which basically just means that I do not identify with the gender male that I was assigned at birth, but I also don't fully identify with the female gender. Um, yeah, I really like the podcast, and I'm really um, glad that I'm allowed to be here and talk to you. Yeah, I... <laughs> Sorry about the spoiler when I posted the latest episode, though. <laughs> That's fair. It only, like, served to make me, like, more excited. Because I still, I'm still not all the way caught up, but I can kind of um, just cobble together. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what's going to be happening, but it's, it's still very exciting. I'm still very keen. Good, good. Yeah, it was because uh, Lexi was just not feeling werewolf, so uh, she wanted to bow out of the game. And so we decided to make it a flashpoint in the story. That's fair. Yeah, I've also had a similar thing happening in a game that I run where I had a player um, have their character die because they just weren't feeling it. Um, well, at least not feeling uh, playing a Garou character. Uh, they now play a spirit, which is like a, an NPC in the game. Which uh, is, I can imagine is for some people is easier because the way that the world in Werewolf is set up and the world of darkness in general is very grimdark. And I think for some people it can just be an anxious experience because unlike a lot of role-playing games, you just have this like constant reminder of the consequences of your actions and stuff like that. And I can see where well, like that's something that's not the thing for everyone. Yeah, I, I think that was part of it. I think also the uh, the, the heavy spirituality aspect mm -hmm. uh, turned some people off, which is fair. Yeah. Uh, that definitely permeates a lot of werewolf. Yeah. I think that, like, that is actually one of my favorite aspects of the entire game, to be very fair. Um, because I just... I don't see that in many games. Like, a lot of, um, like, more well-known um, tabletop role-playing games seem very gimmicky to me. And mm -hmm. I like that werewolf has this, like, um, this, like, seriousness to it while still not seeming pretentious which i think is sort of done by the fact that like the parody aspects are pretty big like with otulis and Otoli is it pronounced otolis or otulis i always I feel call, like i always I, yeah i've heard it both ways i've uh went with otulis yeah that makes sense but like the the parody aspect of it um like i think i've you've seen what i like uh my my parody of magic the gathering which is um sorcery the symposium and stuff like that and i just like being a bit like it's it's kind of funny and it just kind of makes it not seem pretentious to me at least but i do like the like spiritual aspect of it yeah i think the art helps uh inform that too a lot of the art is very comic booky in a lot of ways at least in older books oh yeah um i so this is kind of like a i was on a school trip in like 2015 uh in austria and i found at a comic store that they had this like box this like cardboard box of really old comics and among them was the official where of the apocalypse art book 
and it was still in the original wrapping, like it wasn't unwrapped or anything. And they were like the the person working the store at the time didn't even know what to like charge for it because she had absolutely no idea what it was or how long it'd been in the basement. And I was just kind of like, I will take that, and I still have that. But the I, if you've seen that art book, it's very um like it it's very cartoonish, and it makes a lot of the things in the game look very childish at least to me and it's I, I don't think it's terrible it just is very different from the way that the game is um presented nowadays oh i was gonna say i think it's all over the place i think it's uh because there are some that are like pencil drawings that just like get to me in a visceral sort of way and then there are some yeah. where it's like the oh you brought in an exalted artist for this sketch yeah, and that's like a thing that's interesting to me because the way that I've like actually I only got into Werewolf when 20th Anniversary Edition came out. Um, I first started playing um, role playing games in 2012, 2013 when I was 16, and the first game I played was Chronicles of Darkness. Uh, but the game uh, very quickly switched to the at that time fresh release 20th Anniversary Edition of Werewolf the Apocalypse and. The way that I've been like told it by people who've been playing much longer is that um, Werewolf the Apocalypse, especially in like the Year of the Lotus and stuff like that, was very um, different in tone than it is now. I think, at least that's what I've heard people say. I think there were some tone shifts. Uh, we actually started me and Brennan. Uh, I suggested our first Werewolf the Apocalypse game uh, years after the line actually ended. Uh, and we started with revised edition, and mm -hmm. I found a couple metaplot elements and I cut them out. But <clears throat> excuse me, and but that tone was a lot more grandiose and yeah. a lot more epic in feel. Uh, there was a lot more. Um, was that where we played hide and go seek with the dragon? Yes. So. Okay. <laughs> And then that was, I go ahead. That was a wild romp through every theme we could possibly do. <laughs> uh. Sounds interesting for sure. It was. Um, we had a red talon at the sept they were at, and they'd always steal a car and drive it back to the sept, and so they'd piss off the red talon warder, and he'd shift to Karinas crush the car and just huck it into the woods and so they just that, keep that, having to steal another car that wasn't spotlight was it no in the sept of the green the sept of the green new york canal like it has a retailing um warder um and gate i think he's the warder um but the game that i've been like the game the first game i the very first werewolf game i played starting in 2012 2013 actually is still kind of going on we're currently on pause until one player finishes um her master the master thesis but um a big thing was that um the warder at the sept of the green eventually picked up the um black fury gift that let him grow wings because our pack had a Corax, and he really did not appreciate having someone fly in from the top without him being able to intervene. And it was like a, it was a huge thing. It was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have this habit of building all of my septs from scratch. Uh, and uh, that sept was uh, no exception with the green. I knew the green existed, and I took some elements from the books, but I ended up creating every single Garu character that lived there. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for our last game. And 
those characters, because I did not want to make the Sept of the Green from scratch again, just got transferred over to this game. Uh, including, including Renan's character from the last game, because that was this that campaign was the campaign of the Firestarters, which included Malcolm. Yeah. Uh, okay, I like Malcolm as a character. I do too. I I, I don't always portray him as best as I could, uh, as or as well as I could. But uh, I, I personally, like I think the episodes with um him in it are like some of the most fun to me at least because i like the dynamic of like having um i don't know it just makes the pack dynamic a lot like very interesting to me yeah cool uh, that makes sense uh, so because brennan's characters or malcolm in, at this point in the timeline is an adrian and the rest of them were uh cleoth and brennan as a player didn't want to overwrite their decision making so there was this yeah. dynamic where they kept trying to like look up to him and he's like figure it out on your own <laughs> yeah i know i know more do it yourself <laughs> i can I, I can i can really understand that i think um the game that i was playing at for years um the characters we started out as cubs but after like in like 2019 um we are like at this time in 2020 uh we're all elders of rank um and we still sort of have this reflex where it's like we're in trouble time to call someone on the phone and the person <laughs> would be like i'm an elder you're all of your elders too what are you doing why are you calling me and this kind of stuff and i think it's kind of funny because it's always like you always try to like look towards people who you feel have more knowledge but sometimes you just gotta like think for yourself basically yeah is is this the game uh, you said you started in 2013? Yeah, 2013, 2012. I'm not actually sure which it was sometime around then. I think it was it had to be the beginning of 2013 because 20th anniversary came out then. But we might have started um, in 2012 because we started originally uh, playing Chronicles of Darkness, uh, a like, human investigator game. And then like the storyteller um, moved towns uh, because they switched uh, universities, and, um, and one player who was a player in that like Chronicles of Darkness game uh, took over as DST, and he's been um, storytelling ever since, and that's Werewolf basically. Okay. This is a long game. That's impressive. Yeah, we originally like I originally started playing a Pumanka, which is the Puma Shifters, the Bastet. Um, and he was a very interesting character. He eventually um, died a very heroic death. It was a very emotional thing. I think in parts it was more emotional um, for us as players. Actually, no. It was very emotional for the characters, but it was also very emotional for the players. But in some way, I don't think the character would have died if I hadn't already, like accepted that i think because the way that it played out though this we were we were playing a whole weekend um and my character was in this situation where i was just sure he'd die um and then we like had this cliffhanger and we only played again like weeks after and i was just kind of like you know i was really caught up about it and i was really emotional about it and eventually i was like you know what i'm gonna play a new character um and I kind of like told the storyteller that I was a-okay with him like killing off the character, and he ended up like dying. He basically sacrificed himself to protect um, the rest of the pack. Um, it's like a mixed uh, Pharah pack, so we originally only had one uh, werewolf, a Black Fury, Arun. Um, we had a Bastet, a Korax, uh, my Bastet, 
and um, at times a Mokole and a um, uh, Fox Shifter too. Um, okay. That and it was like very last. Yeah, it was very colorful. It was very interesting. Um, but then, like, basically, my character died a hero's death. He protected the rest of the pack, sacrificed himself. He was um, granted a hero's funeral at the Karen that our characters run. Um, and I basically showed up to the character with uh, to the game with a new character, um, a Bonor um, Galliard. And the, I think the interesting thing for me was that I originally started playing a male character, which was um, a long time before I realized I was not a man in real life. Um, and I just sort of gradually um, made that character more feminine presenting um, to the point where we had this like ancestral uh, memory thing where my character was a woman and became an honorary member of the Black Furies, which sort of transformed, like transferred to him in the present um and it was just like this thing this transition that happened and then i switched to playing a female character from the start with my new character and i was just um the, i think in in a big part that was an important um like just like um what's the word um milestone of my my transition and my ex coming to accepting that i am not a man and that i'm transgender and that i wanted to like live as a woman um in my everyday real life, basically. It's really cool. Was that something that you worked with your storyteller on? Or was that something that you just they sort of evolved through gameplay? Um, I the the actually I only came out to the storyteller and the group sometime last year. So um a long time after I came out to pretty much everyone and a long time after like a really long time after I'd known for myself. Um, but I think the transition of my male character, uh, Chebejo, um, the um, bestet, to being more feminine was just a gradual thing. Um, I originally started, so he was a he was a fellas born, so he was like that's basically lupus born, but for bestet. So he was born a puma, and he never really understood like human gender roles and all that stuff because he just didn't understand it because animals don't really have that. Um, and he was in parts also a long time, like just a kind of comic relief sometimes. Like there was a there was a recurring thing um, where humans, uh, both men and women, uh, like would slip him phone numbers because he had appearance five um, and he just did not understand it. Um, he was completely like confused by what those squiggly lines on paper meant that people kept sliding him um, to the point where the Black Fury had to explain to him um, that w those were... Um, a sort of um, in heat um, card is what she explained it like in in German, of course. Um, and it was this comic relief thing, and he just became gradually more um, the way that I kind of wanted to present in real life and more feminine. Um, and then I like made the new character and started out with a female character in the first place. Then, um, and I don't, I didn't like actually address that as being a transition until years later. Um, because I didn't come out to most people until years later after that. And at the time, I'm actually not sure if I was actually aware of it. It was for, like, a lot of people, um, the trans experience is that you try to ignore and you try to push down those feelings and you try to, like, hide and mask and, like, just pretend that you're someone you're not. And that's why a lot of people see, like, coming out as this huge um, thing where you free yourself from all those things in, in some way. 
Do you think maybe that's uh, something that drew you to Werewolf as well? The ability to change and uh, maybe it being analogous to the first change? That, that swell up where it couldn't be, you know, contained anymore? And then it just, you know... In ways, yes. Um, I'm also autistic, so the whole um, thing with the curse and humans just instinctually um, not liking you or being afraid of you or just having this wary feeling about you is something that when I was 16 and I started playing World, I related to because in a way, um, I just felt like whenever I met people, I would inevitably cause them to dislike me just by way of being me. And that was also like partially um, influenced by me being trans because uh, the the big thing is that I didn't know I was trans, but I never like was able to like uphold those ideas that people had what a boy, what a man should do. Um, and even when I didn't see myself as being feminine in any way, and still don't really do, I like people in high school and. Like, even going back as far as kindergarten, people would try to bully me for being feminine. And I never saw myself as feminine, but to some people it was kind of obvious. And that's a thing that I kind of relate to the curse in Werewolf, because it's this, like, thing where people just instinctually feel this way about you. And in a way, it's something that you do not want, that you cannot stop. But it's just like this thing. But I also, um, I think that being able to shapeshift the way that like Werewolf does it, or the way that the uh, um, Chimiche in uh, Vampire do it, or the way that in, you're able to do it in Changeling, um, is something that appeals to a lot of um, trans people and queer people in general. And I think in some ways also like minorities of other kinds. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Did you, have you ever played Exalted? I have not. I've actually heard some fun things about it, but I've never played it. The Lunars are the shapeshifters of this world, obviously. And they get a spirit form that they can shift between human and that. I haven't read too much on 3rd edition's Lunars. I know that just came out. Uh, but they Lunars can then take a beast form between their spirit shape and their regular shape, regardless of what their spirit shape is. So you could be a giant hamster monster ripping out people's eyes if you so chose but on top of that it goes into other shape-shifting mythology so as a lunar you can hunt other animals for a mm -hmm. couple hours and then you pounce on them rip out their hearts eat the heart and then you're able to take that animal's form forevermore that's very interesting uh, and the last one is that they did have a knack which is a shape-shifting power that allowed them to change genders Mm -hmm. uh, regardless, so if they chose the, uh, for all their forms, so their human form would become just the other gender, the opposite gender equivalent of the one that they currently were. Is um, that the Vlad slash group that has the canonically gender queer character? Because I vaguely remember something like that from Exalted, but I'm not sure if they, that's. They... Exalted has a lot of canonically uh, genderqueer, uh, trans characters, and uh, gay and bisexual characters specifically. There's a lot of bisexual characters in Exalted. That's really cool. Um, something that, like, for Werewolf, um, I think one of the things I'm most sore about for Werewolf is uh, Changing Ways 20th Anniversary. Um, 
I am not sure if you to follow the controversy about it. It was basically just that um, some authors were not happy about the things that were put in the finished product, and those finished like those things that they were not happy about was that um, the basic ideas. Like for years, people have been asking how um, do Garou who are trans experience the world, and um, the way that I feel Chainways explained that is kind of awful um, because while I do acknowledge that the Garou are a traditionalist and in many ways um, just shitty culture, I don't think it's okay to go and say, oh, actually, um, if you're trans and you're Garou, at best you're being treated like a third. Uh, third uh, class citizen and at worst they're just gonna skin you alive and murder you that's literally almost adverb in what the book says and yeah, I, mm, I, it oh. was <laughs> yeah oh i i got the book i got to that part i'm like not in my game <laughs> that's uh, yeah that's also what i think and i think even in the even in the like context of the book it doesn't make sense um, because the first assumption is that uh, Garou who are trans cannot do hormone therapy because hormones are in some way of the weaver, which just doesn't make any sense because the hormones that I take um, in like medication form, in the form of a gel, is exactly identical to the one that someone who um, was assigned female at birth generates in their body naturally. There's no difference and there's no way that it would be off the weaver unless... For example, Pentax produced, uh, or like some other corporation associated with Weaver uh, produced hormones that specifically do that. But hormones in itself are just a natural thing, and them being uh, taken in pill form or as a gel doesn't change their makeup at all. And then the second thing is that the book um, specifically uh, said that um, things like tattoos and piercings and body mods are entirely possible, even saying that this is okay and possible because of the rule of cool. Uh, then they go and say, actually, but if you're transgender and you want surgery, well, it sucks to be you. Guess you die. And it's just, um, it's a really, really weird thing to me because if, especially, like, a, a couple weeks ago, I went and read the thing again. Um, because I read it, like, when it came out, and then I just sort of, like, stashed it because I wasn't happy with it. But then, like, I went and read the whole thing again, mostly because I'm playing in a new game, and I wanted to, like, involve myself with it again, especially because some of the um, things that I know from lore, um, from the older editions, seem to be uh, revised in that book. Like, the fact that um, in the older editions it said um, that the children of Gaia, for example, um, do not um, openly, at least, um, uh, do not openly oppose the tenet of the litany that forbids uh, Garou um, with Garou relations. Um, and then Changing Ways actually says that they do openly oppose that. That's something that someone told me about, which was interesting to me. But so I went and reread the whole thing from um, front cover to, to back. Um, and it was very obvious to me that some things were written before those uh, sort of transphobic things were put in and they just never bothered to change them because one of the characters that's uh, mentioned as an NPC is actually a um, Latina trans woman that lives with a kinfolk and that they're trying it says that they're trying to conceive a child and they're seeing a fertility doctor and all that kind of stuff and it just seems very nice and it's not like the way that the book describes how trans are treated I wouldn't expect that 
and it just was very obvious to me that they wrote that and then added all the transphobic bits on top of it for some reason and just didn't redo the things that were like affirming and not shitty and that's kind of a thing that just like amazes me in a bad way because it's just it there's the the consistency just is lacking no, i think I, I um, agree. yeah but that's basically like this book is like the thing i'm most sore about with werewolf i think in general um do not do not like this book there are some the the sad thing is that a lot of things in this book are really good and it's a good resource but that part of the book just um uh, really made me feel bad and it just made me very upset in some ways because this is a game that is in many ways my favorite game ever and i've spent thousands hours playing and running this and then to like have someone um just go there and be like actually uh the the people in this game think you're subhuman and at best you're just gonna be treated like shit and at worst they're gonna murder you that's like if i want that i can go in real life because it's what happens to a lot of trans people especially uh trans women of color and black trans women in real life like it's it's nothing new it's not something edgy or interesting in the in the lore of a game cuz that's just business as usual for a lot of us yeah i guess there's some controversy surrounding by night studios right now i don't know a ton about it um to be honest cuz i don't i don't larp but i do know yeah. that the werewolf the apocalypse uh, mind's eye theater edition which takes place in an alternate path where, you know, the apocalypse didn't happen, the red star disappeared, is that the Black Furies accept trans women and that Pegasus absolutely says trans women are women. Yeah. And, like, they, they treat it so much better. <laughs> and it's... Or the the revised story, story uh, storyteller's guide, mm-hmm. that handles, like, it doesn't specifically touch on queer topics but it i think handled how the garu experience better than changing ways as well i think the whole thing with pegasus and the black furies which is i i'm not sure if you're on the onyx platforms there's a huge thread about that where um, a lot of good points were brought up a lot of really bad points were brought up a lot of people i think got banned for being really shitty um but the thing that i always bring to the table at, with that discussion um is that first of all spirits aren't physical in their bodies the way the way that we are and i think a lot of spirits would have a hard time wrapping their heads around the the, the concept of a binary gender or of gender in general um, because while um, Gaia is seen as the mother, um, she just is I in my in my head canon. She is that because it's something that humans understand that the way that that fits into the narrative that we have of gender. But the way that like nature works and that many species and animal types do not have the genders that we do and have the sexes that we categorize things in. I don't see spirits working that neatly and that simply. Um, and then the thing is that if you look at the Black Furies in particular in Pegasus, um, you actually have this very interesting, um, thing that Pegasus was originally male, um, got abused and gelded by a Greek hero, and then started being referred to as female and as she, or as it, um, like, I, 
the Black Furious in most of the canon writing either refer to Pegasus as she or as it. Um, and in the original writing, Pegasus was male because Pegasus got gelded um, by a Greek hero. And that, okay. to me, is just, like, even more, like, it, it just doesn't make sense that they wouldn't accept trans women, you know, with all that. Because yeah. their concept is about being um, for femininity and um, all that stuff. They're not about specifically um, the experiences of um, cis women or heterosexual women or anything like that. So yeah. I think it doesn't make sense to say that they would... Um, not accepted. That's not to say that some individual Black Furies, especially Elders, um, aren't opposed to that. Because the way that the, the big thing in Garou culture is that they are very much still humans, even if they don't like it. Like, even the, the even the Red Talons have those human things that they make them stand out and that make them, um, that, that shape a big part of the character that are not found in any animals. Like, if you look at the Red Talons and you have their uh, rights uh, about uh, making humans uh, suffer and making them see, feel pain and torturing them in a way that they think uh, gratifies Gaia as their mother goddess, torture is not a thing that most animals engage in at all wolves not at all um and so that's a very human thing so i do think that the black furies as a tribe would have people who are opposed to trans rights but i don't think that the totem itself would be opposed to that i guess i agree with that i actually would have always ruled and i think i said it in the onyx path forums or in a comment section somewhere regarding werewolf in that there might be like a camp of Black Furies that are turfs, but they're the same kind of camp that you'd have as like the Eaters of the Dead for the Silent Striders, in that their hatred is corrupting them and they are basically spirals in everything but name. Yeah, and the thing is that, like, the way that that's um, structured, the way that camps work, um, usually have a camp that embodies. On the worst of the tribe, and that's just a thing that all the tribes have. Like the Glasswalkers have the Cyber Dogs, um, the Geta Fenris have the Swords of Heimdall, um, and uh, the Black Furies. I don't actually know what their camp is. Do they not have that? I don't. Think I don't they recall did. it. I don't think they did. I think they avoided that for the uh, for any of the tribes who specifically. Well, that's not true because the Wendigo have the the yeah. Buffalo Dance, which is incredibly. Uh, culturally insensitive yeah that is also one thing um that i personally um think is important because the way that i play the game i've reworked some of the things um for example i have reworked the wendigo uh to be uh called doshimeans and made their culture um a bit less insensitive uh i've specifically asked some people with native blood about it and um the issue with the name alone, um, the way that I was explaining is that um, the Wendigo as a being isn't a um, being that's revered in any way uh, in the cultures that it springs from. It's more like a, like the Antichrist or something like that um, in a way that it's seen as um, a terrible being that people are afraid of to the point where they don't mention the name and will refuse to say the name. And while I think that the Garou in parts uh, could embody that, I don't think that culturally it would make sense um, for um, that to be their patron spirit. 
Um, and so I've um, basically replaced the patron spirit that they originally had with uh, the patron spirit being the North Wind, uh, because I think it has the same uh, general vibe without being terribly shitty. Um, and that's actually something I've done for multiple uh, tribes, because the way that my game uh, is run, that I have multiple players uh, who, for example, are um, neo-pagans who worship Egyptian gods or the Norse gods, um, I did not want to um, have the whole thing with, oh, Set is an immortal vampire god who posed as a god, or the whole thing that all oh, the Norse gods are actually vampires and uh, the get offenders hate all of them. Uh, because the way that Norse uh, paganism and the way that comedic uh, paganism, which is Egyptian paganism, is structured, none of those deities are in themselves evil or bad. They are, um, unlike some other um, religions, they're not as clear about good and evil. Because the way that, for example, Norse paganism is, uh, you have Loki, who's the adversary to many of the gods, who birthed a lot of the monsters uh, that the gods fight, like Fenris, for example. Uh, but he's still not evil in the same way that, for example, Christian uh, religion uh, portrays the devil to be, in the way that he's just evil and nothing more. Um, there are more varied characters, per, like their characteristics and personality. That's why I, something I wanted to um, make sure of is that um, the way I explain the lore is not insensitive to um, the people I'm playing with, which is why, for example, I have said um, that there were vampires who took the names of Thor, of uh, Set, of other gods, um, but those vampires were imposters and were not the original um beings that took those names because the way that like werewolf works that a lot of those uh gods could be or would be uh patron spirits in their own right like loki is a um face of uh of coyote as a as a totem Hell yeah. yeah i um i go slightly the other way what I, I what i typically do is i sit down my players and went all the religions are false and all of them spring from one of the triad in some sort of way to obfuscate the mm -hmm. truth so, yeah. like, in Christianity, I actually have that Jesus, God, and the devil are actually all different aspects of the weaver. Uh, because, you know, G Jesus with his specific tenets, Satan being the representation of giving the apple of knowledge to man and thus actually springing their intelligence. And, of course, God as a fatherly patron that keeps humanity going and saying that humanity must rule over nature all weaverish and then i do similar things with other religions across the world or that they were inspired by specific spirits that makes sense the thing that about like that um the like canon of the world of darkness uh about this kind of thing um that sort of I don't like is the fact that like according to the canon of the world of darkness god spelled with capital g capital o capital g the creator of the entire universe is a being that existed and cannot be turned uh his back on uh universe but he is basically exactly the christian god and i do not think that it's fair to say that like all other gods and things that people pray to are mere spirits in the greater tapestry of the universe while god the creator in all caps is the creator of everything and basically all powerful and that's why i sort of like went the way that i did but the way you do it makes also also makes sense i think 
Uh, which book was that? I know I know that it's never stated in Werewolf. I thought it was kind of stated in Vampire because Vampire is more uh, Judeo-Christian. Yeah, Vampire and Demon, for the most part, has a lot of stuff about that. Um, okay. It's also interesting because in, like, I, I have to say I'm not as well-versed in Demon or Vampire lore as I am in Werewolf. Werewolf is definitely uh, the biggest of my interests. But the way that I understand Demon is that, um, basically, um, the angels of God, of the Creator, um, foresaw a great tragedy that would happen to the universe. Um, obviously, the Apocalypse. Um, and um, they basically isolated themselves from God and started like debating about it. And the first one who actually made a decision was Lucifer Morningstar, uh, the highest of the angels, who decided, you know what, I'm going against God and I'm to revolt, going to revolt against God to stop this terrible thing from happening. Um, and that's why the demons were cast into the abyss uh, to be contained there, in theory, for eternity. But at some point, the bonds that held them lessened and they were freed upon the world. And the way that, like, demon has its splats is that basically uh, your identity is derived on whether or not um, you uh, still believe uh, that God is good and God is right, or that you think that God in itself is wrong and is bad and is a bully that is like didn't want to step up when the whole thing he created was in danger of being destroyed, and the way that you see humanity, because some demons in demon um, see themselves as having aided humanity and wanting to improve the standing of humanity and saving humanity from the terrible, terrible things that are going to happen, and others um, want to corrupt humanity and drag them down with them, basically. And that's kind of like the thing, but Demon the Fallen and Vampire have the like most discussion, as far as I understand, of like this whole um, thing. But the way that like Demon says it is basically that God, the Creator, um, created the universe, He created everything apparently also the triad is kind of implied um and all that kind of stuff um and that to me who comes from werewolf doesn't make sense because it, for me it just makes more sense to just ignore that and say that for example um the christian god is a facet of the weaver or something like that because to me it doesn't feel fair to say that the um deities of various religions that still have followers and active participants in the current age are all like minor spirits who like kind of didn't do much and didn't create the universe oh but the christian god is god the creator who created everything that just oh, doesn't I, seem fair to me i agree with that i also think that for me personally it's uh if i was running a demon game then sure i'd go i'd go more to the meta plot confirming a judeo-christian god because that's just the universe of demon and then less so in a werewolf game because the werewolf game definitely deals with the umbra more i i definitely change the rules of the universe based on the game i guess yeah that makes sense yeah that's like the thing where like um while a lot of things are like are like um able to have like a mix of the different games i'm lacking the word right now crossover uh where most of the games have comp um, have the possibility for a crossover. Some of the things just don't mix well, and yeah, that's that's okay in my opinion because they don't necessarily have to mix entirely. Yeah, I mean, I think Vampire would be lessened if it didn't do the Cain and Abel thing for the majority of things because that was interesting. Versus yeah. if it tried to work in 
actually the weaver created vampires and the worm corrupted them or something like that. That that works for a werewolf game, but it's uninteresting in a vampire game because it takes the focus away from vampire and puts it on werewolf. Yeah, and something that I also really like is how every supernatural splat basically goes, oh, actually, I can explain this, and this completely misunderstands everything. Like how the changelings say that the Garou are actually um, a type of changeling that got banished from the Dreaming. Or like how the Garou say that vampires are a type of uh, mixed Fomori slash drone made up of weaver and worm energy and that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's kind of funny in a parody kind of way where it's like everyone saying I'm right and I know everything and nobody else knows anything but people are not right because a lot of things aren't as clear-cut and like simple and easy to explain as people make them out to be something yeah. that I also think is fun in like this whole like crossover thing um, is to like uh, have players just run away with stuff um, in the way that I imply something and I'm not even like for example the game that I run um, so the game that I've been running since roughly 2016 um, with breaks uh, is called Beating City Heart, uh, with the uh, uh, other title being Anarchist Werewolves, because it's basically a group of Garou who follows the patron spirit Mother Anarchy, who is basically the philosoph philoso philosophical embodiment of the like idea of anarchism and mutual aid, like the idea that everyone should be equal, um, and. The way that the game is run, it's set in Moscow. Um, there's a lot of like urban fantasy things in, like involved. Um, but another thing is that I just take the players all over the map um, because we're a very international group. We've got players uh, from Australia. We've got one player from Japan. We've got uh, one player from America. Um, we've got players from Europe, like me, and I run the game. Um, and so we just kind of like take it all over the map. And one thing that we had in the recent plot was that the um, the pack was in uh, southern Germany in the Schwarzwald region, uh, which is actually fairly close to where I live, not exactly here, but I've been there. I've been to the specific um, like lake resort that they were at um, as a child, and the basic thing is that they were investigating um, some worm-related activity um, where Magadon was trying to build a um, factory that was supposed to uh, taint a uh, lake cairn that um, the river that the factory was supposed to be situated at fed into. Um, and the thing is that I just sort of um, described Fomori, um, who was working at a local store, as having this hungry look about him. Um, and for some reason, that kind of made the next, I think, four sessions evolve into a wild uh, goose chase where everyone was a vampire and everything was ran by vampires. Um, the Another thing in that session was that um, I had a player um, see the Magadan logo and botch their role to investigate. And so I was like, this is definitely the McDonald's logo. Um, <laughs> And they sort of like went to McDonald's, saw this Fomori dude, and were like, okay, McDonald's is run by vampires. And that was just, that, that just kind of like took over a bunch of episodes. It was really funny because while I did not plan for there to even be vampires, I sort of like ended up making a plot into it. And that kind of fed into the longer overarching plot that I kind of created. Okay. Um, it's really interesting. The, the what I was like trying to say is that it's interesting how players a lot of the time will just completely um, derail the game in some ways, but in a good way because it's like they make a plot that's better than what you came up with originally. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree with that. And I actually, 
I just thought of a question now that you'd been uh, speaking about the game and all your different kinds of players. How do you think uh, German gaming culture differs from what you've heard from about American gaming culture, and how do you think your diverse groups gaming culture diverges from that? Um, I think uh, that German gaming culture just like um, gaming culture globally is getting more and more um, understanding and open and less ignorant about a lot of thing things. But I do think that the way that Germany um, works, we're still behind some things that, for example, the American public has been speaking about for a while, like general things like racism. Um, there is a... Um, so with everything going on right now politically, um, there's been a lot of talk also in Germany and there's been like protests. And my town has been speaking about like working through um, racist things in the city's history. Um, and one thing that like is a thing that I don't think would exist in America anywhere but the deepest south is that we literally have stores here uh, using like racist caricatures of black people as their marketing or we have a, a bar um, called the, to the n-word um, in the German n-word and I think that's something that would not be a thing in America anymore at least not anywhere but the worst regions at all um, and that's why I think that in some ways that Germany um, is a little behind um, some of the things. A lot of issues are less pronounced here. Um, police brutality still exists, even if a lot of uh, people will try to tell you it does not exist. Police brutality absolutely exists in Germany. We have structural and societal racism, absolutely. Um, but some things are not talked about as much as they are in America, which in parts may be because they're less pronounced um, to the casual onlooker, but the people who are um, suffering from these issues, they absolutely experience those things, and it's absolutely a thing. Um, the way that I see it um, changing in recent times um, is that I think we're making a sort of stride towards more inclusive, um, inclusive gaming and um, less ignorance. Um, because, so for example, um, I live in a um, sort of metropolitan town in a rural area so it's the largest city in this area but it's still not huge um and we've got like i think we've got two gaming stores in this area um i have only been to one um due to my disability i can't really go out much and i haven't been to that one in years actually um but i've been to it like in back in 2016 and i still follow them on uh, social media and something that they've um actually came up with or that they instituted recently is that they came up with a sort of charter that um, explains which kind of behaviors are not um, accepted in the store and that includes racist and sexist and homophobic and transphobic behavior um, and I think it's really important that we're like now speaking about these things and like addressing these things because even when like a lot of people have ignored that these things existed and just like pointed the finger at for example um, the United States and said those things only happen in the United States they absolutely happen all over. They happen everywhere, um, from Japan to Australia to uh, Canada to the United States to Germany to France to Scandinavia. Like racism is a is a global thing, and it's not something that only exists in an isolated local issue. Um, and I think as a community, gaming is making strides towards um, a more inclusive scene. But I also think that a lot of things um, still need to very much be worked on. Um, in that way. 
I see, like, I try to um, be mindful and speak about other types of oppressions. Obviously, I know the most um, about the type of things that concern autistic people and trans people. And the way that I've experienced the gaming um, culture that we have in Germany is that, for example, um, roughly two years ago, I... Uh, very abruptly uh, left one of the largest role-playing groups um, that we have in Germany because it was Pride Month, um, like a Facebook group. It was Pride Month. Um, someone posted about um, Queer Pride. Um, and what it devolved into is roughly um, a two-week-long thread where people just kept chitting on queer people and saying that we're mentally ill and we don't deserve uh, human rights and stuff like that. And what the group's admins did was basically just do nothing about it. They just basically pointed a finger sometimes were like, please don't resort to uh, personal attacks, but they didn't actually stop anything of that. And I think um, in a way that's kind of um, a symptom of what the culture is, because we still have this prevalent culture of people being ignorant, being willfully ignorant and being shitty towards minorities of all kinds. Um, and I think that we are getting better, but we still have a lot of work to do in that way. Okay. Uh, I do hate to shatter your illusions about the United States, but we had a pancake brand that had a caricature of a house slave on it, and it was removed from those boxes last week. Yeah, no, I've heard about that. I'm very <laughs> up to date about the United States politics and all that. Okay. I, um, what I meant was more that um, in the United States, you have um, this greater spectrum of things. You have some areas that are progressive, where people at least pay lip service um, to being inclusive and not being shitty. And you have areas that are like really shitty um, still. Um, but I think in Germany, we just have this uh, more widespread culture of ignorance where people um, are like, oh, I just don't know the correct language. And it's like, well, you never made the effort of looking it up, for example. Um, it's a very prevalent thing that I see, I think. Okay. I, I think that is there is a lot of that still in the United States, regardless of where you go, regardless of how progressive the city is, uh, from my yeah. own personal experience. Actually, yeah. uh, we don't have any stores, to my knowledge anywhere, that uh, uses the N-word in the title, which is, I guess, progress. Uh, it's not much, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not much, but it's something. The thing yeah. in Germany is that you have this lasting fascination with our, uh, for example, colonial past. And while a lot of um, Germany openly um, rejects the... Um, things that, for example, um, Nazi Germany did, and while those things have in large parts been spoken about, which, by the way, does not mean that we are a, um, just like Utopia, we still have neo-Nazi, we've had a active uh, neo-Nazi party since a couple of years after the war, there's the old right, there's a lot of stuff like that, but those things are at least um, paid lip service to being against by the general public, but you still have this lasting fascination with the uh, German colonial um, state. Um, because Germany only had colonies for a couple decades. Um, Germany gained their colonies right before World War One, lost them after World War One. So we didn't have them for a long time, but there's still a lot of fascination and glorification of those things. And that, I think, is in part um, why those things are still in popular culture and marketing. Um, it's also a thing in, like, for example, the Netherlands. Um, a thing in the Netherlands that's kind of um, become more widely known in recent years is that, for example, they have uh, the helper slash assistant uh, of uh, Santa Claus is a racist caricature of a black guy. Um, and that's something that a lot of people in the Netherlands um, are still very much okay with being that way. 
Um, and obviously, there are a lot of people who are openly and just really um, vocally against that. But in popular culture, it's still very much a thing because in Europe, a lot of people still associate um, those caricatures with like this idealized, um, beautified and glorified idea of like the colonial past when absolutely colonialism and the things that have come from it and the effects that still permeate are horrendous and are absolutely terrible things and definitely need to be addressed more. Agreed. You have any That's... questions, Brennan? <laughs> Oh, uh, I do have a question. We got a, away from uh, the uh, the STEM, but uh, um, you mentioned uh, preparing for your games. Uh, what do you do? Uh, do you tailor your game to the, to your players, or do you uh, think of a story and then work them in? Um, equally, um, I have specific plots that are um, that are made from background things of the player. Um, we've actually got um, three Metis characters in the game. Um, two of them are half-siblings. Um, their father really got around. Um, and um, their parents are sort of a thing that's involved in plots. Um, for example, one character is a Metis who joined the Bonoris, uh, but whose uh, parentage that is still alive, uh, the father died, um, is a Silverfang um, of high pure breeding. Um, and the way that I can say it without um, having too much spoilers, I'm not sure if my players are going to listen to this, uh, it looks like the mother is trying to subtly involve herself in her child's life, um, and the child themselves is not really sure uh, if that is just to depose of them and just murder them and, or something like that. Um, and the character, the Metis um, themselves, is very um, suspicious and not really all that open about like going into this relationship. And I think that that's one way that I try to involve the backstories and the specific things that the character has and their attitudes into the game. Or for example, another thing is that um, another character in the game, uh, Layla, is a uh, Bonor, um, and uh, they have a mentor who's a Silent Strider. So naturally, they were raised um, with the idea that vampires are the scourge of the Earth and absolutely need to be eradicated. Um, and I came up with this plotline. There was a solo plot for this player uh, that was just them and me role-playing. Um, and um, this is also something that I'm planning to do with all of the characters, having solo plots just to further um, deepen the character and their personality. But this solo plot was basically that um, Layla, the character, was supposed to investigate this bar um, in Moscow that supposedly had a vampire uh, problem, quote-unquote. Um, and um, it sort of became a love story between a vampire and the uh, werewolf because um, as it happened, um, the vampire is actually not a morally corrupt uh, creature that's awful, but rather actually tries to not be overtly predatory and shitty towards humans and basically tries to like make the best out of her own life without harming people and being predatory basically. Um, and the, there was a whole thing about like bone nords in the in the area being shitty towards humans and like extorting bar owners and all that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately, it sort of started this like um, very delicate um, romance between Layla and uh, the character, the vampire character, and that's something that I plan to um, have come up for future things, especially because the way that. Um, 
their relationship started is because uh, Bonor um, tried to um, attack and kill the vampire and was basically fought off by Layla. Um, and the way that it looks that now, um, this Bonor actually um, created a completely false story and retelling of what happened, saying that he was attacked by at least 20 vampires and 5 black spiral dancers uh, as to not lose faith, uh, face about the fact that he was like... He got fucked up by like a uh, like almost cub actually Clyath, um alone and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be interesting. That's a sort of thing where I try to make individual plots that like involve specific character traits and things that I want the character and the player to um, think about that I think would be interesting to them. But in addition to that, I also have um, overarching plots. Um, that have a longer running story um, that I originally came up with. The game is called The Beating City Heart, um, and um, what that um, comes from is the fact that the way that I um, see Moscow in the World of Darkness is that there's this umbral pocket realm, uh, which is basically an embodiment of the city itself. Um, it's called the Undercity, and it's basically... Um, a condensed umbral reflection of um, Moscow, but also of cities in general. Um, this realm is existing under um, the control slash um, influence of rat as um, rat, and in smaller parts also cockroach as totems. Um, and um, this is a thing that was the original concept for this campaign. And this campaign has been going since roughly 2016 or 15. Uh, and it's actually only now that this thing that was name giving for this campaign has actually come up because I just come up with so many plots and ideas that I want to do. Um, and it's just sort of um, is a thing where I have a Google Doc um, sheet where I have something like 200 uh, plot points that I will at some point bring in. And usually I just like have this open and if my players uh, have the characters do something that might warrant anything of that coming up, I just kind of flip through it and go, okay, this is what happens and just kind of like involve that with the plot to like make um, the world seem dynamic and make the world um, interesting for the players basically. That's very cool. I like that a lot. Do you ever run into the problem where you have uh, a setting you want to explore or a story you want to tell in particular, but you uh, don't know how to work it in or don't have enough time? Like, How many games do you have running at any particular point? I only run one game and I play in one game with the other um, Werewolf game being paused. Um, I still have a Pathfinder game that's kind of in the making where I'm playing uh, but that actually hasn't really um, come to fruition. And there's another vampire game that is a one-shot that I'm going to be part of, but I only have those two games that are currently going on. Um, so it's not really a time thing. Um, and I also don't really have any settings that I'm dying to try out that I can't. Um, the way that the werewolf game that I run um, is structured is that I can basically bring up a lot of different types of settings. Like, for example, we had this, like, extremely rural setting in southern Germany where the Gettafenders have their own cairn in the forest, and there's a mixed cairn in, like, the, near the, um, in, at the, um, Wild Lake, um, 
and all that stuff, which is like a very rural and more classical uh, Garou thing. But there's also the main setting, which is Moscow, uh, where you like have this like urban um, Karen that's trying to arrange itself with other things. There's actually two Karens there. There's a bone arrow Karen, which is the Karen of the beating city hard, and there's the Glasswalker Karen that I've taken from Canon, which is the Sept of the Learning Hall. Um, and I basically, when I want to bring in a setting that doesn't immediately fit, I just make it a tour or travel thing. Like, for example, something that I really like um, conceptually is this, like, small-town horror thing. Um, I grew up in, an, in a small rural German village, and something to me that always um, was interesting to me was this idea of this, like, village and small-town horror. Um, like, for example, one past plot um, was that the pack... Um, was um, tasked by a silver fang uh, in service to uh, King Albrecht um, to go to this remote village uh, east of Moscow um, and just like look at stuff because there's just weird stuff going on there. Nobody really knows what it is. And what it actually was was that there was a cult um, of human cultists um, who were basically sacrificing humans to a thunderworm. The thunderworm actually doesn't doesn't actually care about the sacrifices anything like that i don't think they're intelligent enough for that but what's basically happening is that this um thunderworm emerged from the earth roughly every 20 years to wreak havoc and destroy stuff and kill people and those human sh uh human cultists had basically um convinced themselves that they had everything under control because as long as they kept making human sacrifices uh the thunderworm who in their opinion was a servant of god the lord would only kill people that they dislike which was not actually factual but that's how they saw it um and that was kind of like their way of explaining it and making it feel safer for them um but the pack basically went to this village and started investigating um and they found this like shed in the woods with like uh animal and human remains and all that kind of stuff and it culminated with this like battle on the open plain um where the pack was fighting the thunderworm um with the help of a pack of ronin that randomly showed up um but the thing is that like what i was saying um is that if i want to have a setting and i want to bring it up i just try to work it into the story like another um story that's upcoming um would be taking place in south america and it's just the way that I bring different settings that I like in. And with other systems, I don't really have any settings that I really, really want to play. Um, I like I like Cyberpunk, I like Shadowrun a lot, but I don't really have the itching to play that as a system. Um, I've been thinking about maybe running a Cyberpunk Wear of the Apocalypse setting, but that's still a very far away thought that I'm not really sure about. Okay. Yeah, yeah I because uh, I... I have this problem. I I jump from game to game to game mentally. Like uh, exalted with the high fantasy, high control, where you are the movers and shakers of the world, rather than trying to stop the movers and shakers of the world of uh, like werewolf. Uh, I also think, just because of the diversity of your group, I think you would like Scion Second Edition. It's a lot more well researched than the first edition one, and it does the great idea of that all the mythology that is presented is true. Yeah. They, they um, all I, exist. I like Sign Lord conceptually. Um, I've, I've had a bit of a bad experience with it, so to say. Um, there's a, d d does America have free RPG day? Is that a thing over there? Yeah, we do. 
Um, so I think it came from America to here, but something that happened at the Free RPG Day years ago is that I was at a public library where they were doing the Free RPG Day, and I was already mainly into RPGs, so I was just there, kind of like support the scene and all that kind of stuff. Um, and this dude was running Cyan, um, and we picked our characters, and he sort of like. We basically decided on a concept and what like deity we wanted to be descendant of, and he like gave us a character sheets um, in accordance to that. Um, and I was a uh, daughter of Freya, um, the Norse goddess of magic and love. Um, and a, an item that appeared on my character sheet was literally a magic dildo for some reason. Um, and that would have been uncomfortable and weird, but there was also mi there were also minors involved in that game session, and I was just really uncomfortable with that. Um, and there was this sort of a thing that kind of turned me off from Cyan for a bit. I might look into it um, to run it at some point because it does seem interesting. That's just sort of the only thing I relate to Cyan as a game. That's that's fair. Um, Christ. <laughs> 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 the uh, the first edition is kind of a mechanical mess. The second one definitely does a bit of a better job, though I do think that the the organization of Scion Origins and some of the information about it is kind of a hot mess as well. The hero book, which is the default for me, uh, just because of first edition, I, I really like. So you'd have to dip two books in to really get the be most out of Scion, in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting, and I think I will look into it when I like find the time. Um, what I would like the way that I like kind of um, work is that I often like obsess over a single thing, um, and for a while, and that's usually my werewolf game, which is also how I like. Um, I think you saw me posting on the on the um, Discord about that is that sometimes I just have these intense phases of productivity where I just start working on something and suddenly it's 6 a.m. the next morning and I'm like, oh, um, I should sleep. <laughs> um, that's kind of like how I make the game and how I write the plot because I just like will um, sometimes I lay in bed and I just like am right before falling asleep and I'm like, you know what, this is a cool plot point. And I kind of like get up again and start writing and that's just sort of how I write the game's plot basically. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I do a lot of feverish writing for the sets, uh, for example, because I am working on a story-telling uh, vault product now, which will be the Sept of the Sacred Stone from oh, the, uh, really the podcast. Cool. So that will be going up eventually. I write slow, uh, especially for StoryPath products. That's fair. That's really cool. I'm going to look into that. That sounds really good. Yeah, so I and I put in like a little disclaimer at the beginning going what's in the name and I say that the Uten and the Wendigo are tribal names are sacred or taboo to native cultures and that they are forever referred to as uh older and younger brother from that point. Yeah, on. that's that makes sense. That's the way that I explained to you earlier where I renamed um the Wendigo into Oshimeans and have their um patrons but there's also a thing um i try to um not use the word totem i usually say patron spirit because the way that the um word totem is associated just 
in the first place doesn't really fit for a lot of the things that are presented as totems in the books, like Clashing Boom Boom or, for example, Almighty Dollar. All those are only vaguely related to what um, the term meant in the original sense. And I so I try to say Patron Spirit. Um, yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, so I've been been working on that, so that will be a thing at some point. Uh, are, there, are there other World of Darkness games that really, really speak to you as well? Uh, like, do you like Vampire? Have you ever thought about running Wraith or Mage? Um, I have played Vampire on a couple odd occasions. Um, the Werewolf game that I was, that I'm still in, that's kind of paused right now. Um, periodically try to play other games and it just never took off as much as the werewolf did um i played in a vampire dark ages game uh where i played a toreador uh countess and it was just sort of wacky and it was interesting definitely but it never gripped me as much as werewolf did um and neither did any of the other games like we've tried changeling um and all those, and Changeling is the one, uh, Changeling and Mage are the ones that speak to me the most still. Um, but that is mostly because the way that the games are written is more inclusive towards um, minorities of all kinds uh, than, for example, Werewolf. Like, for example, um, a book that I frequently consult for my Werewolf game um, is the Mage 20th Anniversary um, Gods and Monsters, I think is the name. Yeah. Uh, which is a source book with a bunch of like spirits and like different types of characters and things like that. Um, and what like amazed me about it is that you have this um, in the first part of the book. Uh, you have this like um, list of a couple of characters who are like detailed um, as being in the book. Um, and I think uh, one very upset um, uh, commenter on the um, on. Um, uh, drive through RPG put it very nicely. He said he was very angry because there were very, very many diverse characters, and it was a uh, SJW wet dream or something like that. And that's honestly, if someone criticizes a book as being that, you can you can bet your money I would have spent money on it. Like, I just like diverse characters, and I want my games to be diverse, and I don't like if that's not a thing. And I think if a game um, starts out by presenting those things. Um, then it's good already, and I, and I can appreciate that. Like, for example, one of the characters um, in uh, the uh, Gods and Monsters book that I remember uh, fairly well is a autistic boy, or that there is a genderqueer person in the book um, who's detailed as a character, and all those kind of things, and I think those are interesting car character concepts, and I think that um, gaming and storytelling can gain a lot from having diverse characters. Because, like, Obviously, you could play the 360s uh, grizzled white dude uh, whose uh, wife died and his daughter is in peril and now he needs to step up and uh, rejoin the Fianna as an Arun. No, I'm not speaking about a specific game. Um, but, um, like, this thing where, like, this, this, like, a lot of games have those, like, just cookie-cutter characters and that seems boring to me. So I do like having this kind of diversity in the characters that are told mm -hmm. i actually i guess i didn't oops all allegory the sept of the sacred stone which i'm happy for but i thought i was a little too on the nose of the theme because uh with the exception of regender as the elder 
Mm-hmm. Uh, almost all of the native Garu in that Karen, at least who are uh, of the older brother tribe, are people of color, typically of Hispanic native uh, descent. But yeah. all, almost all of the set positions are controlled by outsider white other tribes. Yeah, that's something that actually um, my partner, who I was listening to the podcast with, um, remarked. They said um, they they be colonizing because that's basically like <laughs> very very aptly put that like um, the struggle that I as a as a listener see in the Septus that like you have the children of Gaia embodied by Regenda who say we are trying to take care of things by controlling things and not giving the people who the place probably rightfully should belong to um, agency. That's an interesting, I like that as a concept and I like that as a conflict in a game. Mm, and then you have Teresa who is like, we want more of our Karen back. You you re-invited us in as a yeah. show of unity and then it stopped there. Except that her master of right, too. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's a that's a really interesting conflict in a, in the sept. Um, I think that a conflict that I have in my sept, um, the the sept of the meeting city heart, while um, being less a allegory for real life things, um, is that um, you have um, both um, the shadow lords uh, under the guidance of Yuri Konietzko and um, the silver fangs under uh, King Albrecht, who in my game is already king. Um, but still is contested by others, um, both vying for uh, the support of the Sept, uh, because Moscow, in the way that it works, is in the middle of the map, basically. Um, and they're trying to get that point as a note for uh, Moonbridges, basically. Okay. The way that I have the whole leadership of the leadership of the Garu Nation uh, thing set up in my game is that um, you have Yuri Konietzko who says uh, it's not the time for prophecies and destined kings. We have to take action. You have uh, King Elbrick who says I am going to find the Silver Crown. He's already king, but he still needs the crown to basically verify his claim. Um, and you have um, the traditionalist um, European silver fangs under the uh, leadership of uh, Tamara Tvarevich, um, who are basically saying that um, that um, King Albrecht is not the right one to do it because he's too adventurous. He's putting too many. He's like doing too many risks. And in a sort of um, representation of American politics basically saying uh, we need to be less overt about being progressive so we can have a safe leadership. Okay. I like that. We've been uh, doing that. I, But I lost it. <laughs> That's okay. It happens. <laughs> I think we're getting close to the end of the podcast, so we're going to ask you our typical question. If resources, time, people was not a factor, what would be the ideal game for you to run? What would your dream game be? Um, I think I like alluded to that earlier. I don't really have that. I'm very much content with the game I run, and that basically is the dream game because I came up with this concept uh, in basically a fever dream, and I started fleshing it out. And I started running it, and that's sort of the dream game that I want to be running, really. Um, I like the 
conflicts of the game. I like the way that the um, pack functions. I am very happy with how the um, players play their characters. The setting is a um, dream for me, and it's basically my dream game already. Perfect. You might be the first, and hopefully, though, not the last person who is able to play their dream game. Uh, is there any place on social media or anything that you want to be found at? Um, no, I don't really think so. Um, That's fine. <laughs> I I do use social media, but I don't really use it for public stuff. Um, I write uh, slam poetry in the name of Scarlett M Miller, uh, but that's about like the publicity stuff that I do. Okay. Yeah, no problem. I want to thank you for uh, coming on to the show. I know it's the time difference makes it a bit more of a challenge. What time is it for you right now again? Uh, it's not too bad. It's only 11.20. Okay. Yeah, it's 7 here. But I also want to <laughs> thank you for inviting me um, to the game. That's uh, very grand. I enjoy that. Of course. And so uh, Keegan here signing off with Brennan. Have a good and, night, everybody. And you can Goodbye. find and you can find us on Facebook, Podbean, YouTube, but you will never and Apple Podcasts, but you'll never find me on Twitter. I find it accessible. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>